There's this house down the street from where I live, and it had been vacant for a long time, not just years. It had been vacant for decades, and it had gotten to the point where I think the whole entire town had given up hope that this house would ever be lived in again. There was nothing about its situation where you would think, okay, like, yeah, something could happen here. It seemed like it was maybe caught up in, like, uh, some, some tax or some loan delinquency. The paint had long since fallen off. The windows looked horrible. The roof looked, looked bad. Nothing about it was secure. And so you could just imagine that over the years, water had been pouring in from the elements. The wind had been blowing through. Animals had been running in and out. Perhaps even people had squatted in there or thrown stuff in there, trashed the place, used it for whatever purposes. Uh, the yard didn't look very good at all. And then all of a sudden, we started to hear rumors that someone was going to come in and fix this house up. And my, my first reaction was overwhelming pessimism. I thought to myself, man, you know, here's the problem with, with the world these days. All these people are all up in here sitting at their house watching HGTV, thinking they could rebuild a house, flip a house. They get like drunk on these delusions of grandeur and they go in there and they start doing stuff and they realize like, oh man, there are not enough Home Depot coupons in the world for me to, to make this work out. And someone's going to come in and they're going to check it out and they're maybe even going to start and maybe even get a little bit of the way down the road, but then they're just going to quit. Because this thing, it's, it's unredeemable. It's not inhabitable. There's no way to restore this thing to its former glory. And there was some sadness there because it's a great house. It's, 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 a, it's a tall house. It's a Victorian house. It's a house that at one point in time would have anchored that part of town. But I just had no hope that there could be any restoration possible. This semester, as we've been going through the book of Isaiah, um, we encounter people at the end of the book who had probably lost hope. You encounter people who had had generations of being away from their families, generations of not having a home, generations of not being able to worship their God, generations of, of being worked very hard and of not being viewed as a people. And most importantly, and, and, and most difficultly for them, generations of feeling as though God was far off. And I'm sure that as, as especially young people kind of heard the stories and thought about what it was like to be the Israel of old, I would imagine there was just a lot of doubt as to whether or not they could experience this restoration that people had been talking about for decades. The crazy thing about that house I was telling you about is... Um, as, as a hater, like the people who bought it totally proved me wrong. And it was super cool over the last, like it's, I think it's been a couple of years now to see, I think that house not only have find some people who are passionate about it, who are in love with it, who want to be in that house for the rest of their lives. But, but they have obviously um, and honestly taken that house and not only restored it to its former glory, but I think they are going to surpass the former glory of that house and just to talk to them and to see their eyes light up and, and for them to not, when, they, when you're talking about like, hey, how's the house going? Not for them to be like, oh gosh, it's so much work. But for them to be excited at every step along the way of the improvements that are, have been made because that is their blood and that is their sweat and that is their tears and that is, is, is their love. Like that's a really exciting thing. And it's something that motivates me as a homeowner. I think something that, that really uh, motivates the rest of this town. God understands in Isaiah 62, that the people are probably without hope, that the people think, are sitting there thinking, we don't know if we can be restored. 
And God does a really cool thing in Isaiah 62, a good word for us and a good challenge for us, I think, as is, is we look at the world around us in a world where a lot of people have lost hope. As God talks about the redemption and the vindication and the salvation and the restoration of his people, God says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. And it's such a great sentiment there because it's something that God is saying that he is going to be active in. There's not a God who is sitting far off and saying, man, I really hope that Israel can get her act together. And God's not saying, well, it would make me happy if, if she could figure it out. No, God is saying, I'm going to be a participant in the restoration of my people. And God starts out saying, I will not keep silent. I will not rest. You have the very God of the earth, the very God of the universe with this can't stop, won't stop attitude saying that, yeah, the people have been, have, have sinned and they've suffered for their sins and I've been far off, but I want to be the one who keeps my promises to them. I want to be the one who shows faithfulness to them. I want to be the one who, who, who loves them. And it won't just be a partial restoration. It won't just be a, a, a partial vindication. But the vindication is going to shine like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. God's use of language right there is very intentional. Because when we think about where we are at, when we feel separated from people or we feel separated from God, we oftentimes talk about feeling as though we are in the darkness. And God is, is almost empathizing with the people saying, yes, I get it. You feel like it's dark. You feel like it's difficult, but, but that situation is going to change. And that which was dark is going to be made light. And I'm going to do that thing for you. And then God changes the language that he uses a little bit to talk about his people. The nation shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your, your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinels. All day and night they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. That's very romantic language to us, isn't it? But it's also cool because it's also very covenantal language. God starts out that whole premise saying that your name is going to be changed. And you know how it gets, man, kind of when you're out there and you get a bad reputation, what's the first thing that people do? They, 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 they give you horrible names. They give you terms of derision. They call you things to tear you down. And I'm sure that that was the case with the Jewish people. <clears throat> I'm sure that them being servants of other people and them not having any power politically to speak out for themselves, I'm sure there were all kinds of names that the Assyrians and, and the Babylonians had given them. And I'm sure that none of those names meant nice things. But God says, no, I'm going to take you in 
and I'm going to give you a new name. But not only am I just going to name you, it's not going to just be a fresh coat of paint on the outside. I'm going to tell you how much you are valued and how much you are loved because we are going to, to, to reaffirm these covenants that we have made to each other before. This isn't what God is talking about here. It isn't the first time that Israel and God had, have a, had a covenant with each other. When God approached Abraham and said, I will make a nation of you, there was a covenant. There was an agreement there that, 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 that the people would serve God and that God would never forsake and never leave the people. And God kind of fleshes this out and makes it easy for them and for us to understand as he talks about the people of Israel being the love of his life, of being the most valuable thing that he could ever imagine that they would be the crown on his head, the crown of beauty. And then when we think about what a crown of beauty is, like certainly, sure, like there's some bling there and it's meant to impress people. And then it's meant for people to say, wow, that's really beautiful. But in, in a royal sense, a crown of beauty is also meant to convey some kind of authority. And so here's God and he's saying, you are going to be beautiful and the things that I am going to do through you are going to point back to the authority that I have over all of this earth. And people have said that you have been left, that you have been forsaken, that I'm never coming back. And people have called you desolate. They've literally said that, 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 that nothing good can come out from you, that the end of you is simply going to be death, that things are withered up, that it's not going to be fruitful anymore. But God says, no, 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 that's not what, how I see you. That's not what your name is going to be. That's not what your legacy is going to be. You will be called, my delight is in her, and your land will be called married. And what God is talking about there is this notion that I will ever, forever be bonded together with my people. And I might seem far off now, but I am going to rejoice over you. I'm going to celebrate in you. And it won't just be this one-time thing, but I will be your protector and I will be your keeper and I will fight for you until the very end. God goes on to say, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. Foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it. The praise of the Lord, and in those who gather it shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up an ensign over the people. The Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter Zion, see your salvation comes. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. And all of those things that God talks about and all of that language that God uses, God comes to the end of that chapter to say, get ready for what is going to happen. Prepare, prepare, because I'm coming in, I'm marching in, and I need to have a path to come down when I arrive for this great celebration. And I'm getting ready to, to do all these things. I'm getting ready to, to build all these things. I'm getting ready to redeem all these things. I'm getting ready to restore all of these things. And my people are coming with me. So what has to happen at this point, at this dark point? What has to happen to usher in the light? And you know what? Yeah, it's going to be some work. 
When God talks about it's time for us to build up the highway, it's time for us to, to, to clear the stones. Man, I don't know how you guys feel, but whenever um, I like kind of see people who are working outside and <clears throat> doing road work and whatnot, I always feel like the, the first thing that you think is like, man, that's got to be a real easy job. Like you're here and, you know, you're driving this, uh, what are those things, like those big rollers and like you get to sit in the deal and like dig stuff up or you stand there and you turn the sign all day. Like that all looks pretty easy. But then you start to think about it and you're like, man, you know, you're standing out there in the heat all day. Are you standing out there in the cold all day? And people are frustrated with you the whole time because they're like, oh, gosh, why is this person stopping me, making me slow down? And I'm sure that there are times when those projects, they just get off, like projects just get off. And you have to figure things out and you have to problem solve and you have to fix. And so uh, my mindset has changed as I've gotten older. I thought that's actually probably a pretty tough job, right, to be working on the streets and to be working on the highways. And think about even how much harder it would be if you were doing those things back in the time of Jesus. Because when when God says, or back in the time of Israel, when God says, build up, build up the highways cleared of stones, you don't even have like access to technology at that point. Those are things that you are doing by hand. And so every piece of, of land that is being prepared for people to come into it, for people to be ushered into it, that's hard work. That's work that calluses you. That's work that, that makes your, your muscles ache. That is work that, that wears you out. But it was necessary work, especially in the empire, for people to be connected to each other. And here's God, and he's saying, it's time for you guys to be connected to each other. It's time for me to be connected to you, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be marvelous, and the restoration is going to taste lovely. However, there's some work that we need to do if that is to happen. Because the thing about a covenant is that it takes two parties. One of those parties was always going to be the people of God, and one of those parties was always going to be the God who created them. And so God says, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves for my arrival. Prepare to see prepare to hear, prepare to comprehend, prepare to understand, prepare for, for your heart to be teachable and humble and tender. And at the end of the day, after all of that preparation, after all of that work that the people would do in their own lives, after all of the work that God would do, the, holy, the people shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and they shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. And I wonder for us tonight, How many of us just need to hear God talk about us like that? Because I think the world can be a pretty vicious place, and it can chew us up, and it can spit us out. And the world can call us a lot of names. The world can have us calling ourselves a lot of names, using a lot of terms of derision about who we are and, and what our value is inherently, how other people see us, how God sees us. And you know what? I think that, that as, as the people of God, as God's creation, that God sees you just as he talks about him seeing his people here in Isaiah 62. I do think that we, as the people of God, as the worshiping people, are people who are cherished. I think we are people who God wants to be productive and fruitful. I think that, that we are people that God is seeking out. We are not people who have been forsaken And it can be hard for us to remember that. It can be hard for us to affirm that sometimes because honestly, God can seem so far off because the spiritual life of our house has felt desolate for so long. 
because we've experienced so much pain, because we're so confused by the things happening around us. But the affirmation that we get from Scripture today is, is, is this affirmation, that indeed we are loved and we are cherished and we are highly favored. And that whatever the state of our spiritual house is and whatever the state of our life is, that God wants us to experience restoration. God wants us to experience wholeness and completeness. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a wonderful thing. And you know what? If that's something that 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 reminder does something for us and and, and helps us to prepare for God to encounter us in in more meaningful and in deep ways as the days goes on, that's great. But I think the challenge for us, the challenge for us is is to ask, okay, if, if that's what God is doing in my life, then how can I swing back to the beginning of 62? And how can I be one who is indeed shining out like the dawn? How can the salvation that I've experienced, the redemption that I've experienced, how can the restoration that I've experienced not be something that is quenched or hidden or just taken for granted? But how can my salvation shine like a burning torch? Because the thing about our stories is when we talk about our stories, when we talk about the difficult parts of our stories, when we talk about the work that God has done in our lives and the ways that God has partnered with us and made good on his side of the covenant, when we share those things, those have the capacity and the energy and the creativity to change other people's lives. Maybe for us, that is the way in which we can be about building highways and about clearing roads and about taking away blockades so that everyone around us has the opportunity to hear what God has done, to hear what God sees them as, to hear what the plans of God might be for their lives, and to be assured that we as God people are not forsaken, but we are indeed the beloved community. I know this is a tough time of year to sometimes feel beloved just because we're, we're, we're so tired, and I get it, I get it. That's just kind of the deal. That's how we are. That's where we are. But here's the good news. We have carved out time in our day today to connect with the God who faithfully pursues us. And so over the course of, of these next three songs, allow yourself the freedom to hear from the God who loves you. Allow yourself the opportunity to hear from the God who cherishes you and allow yourself the chance to respond to the God who wants to see every aspect of your life restored. God, we thank you that you are indeed a God of hope. And we thank you, God, that those narratives of hope, they don't fade and they don't become untrue just because we feel as though you are far off, just because we haven't heard your voice for a while, just because we can't see you in this moment. We know, God, that we are indeed cherished by you and and help us in some way to just know that in a very new and and different and real way today. And for those of us who do know that and are confident in it, help us, God, to, to share that with other people. And regardless of how dark or how desolate our quote unquote houses look, let us know, God, that you will not just restore them to their former grandeur, but you can make them even more beautiful than they were before. You are a God who is a healer. You are a God who is a provider. You are a God who is always good. And we love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.